Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Luke 11, verses 1 and 2 says this, When Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, and then it goes in um, to the Lord's prayer. Let me ask you guys a question. So we, we looked at some of the Beatitudes at the beginning of tonight. It's the starting of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew 6 continues on, Sermon on the Mount. Who is the audience in the Sermon on the Mount? Who is, who is Jesus talking to? People, yeah. So let's... <laughs> oh, you're right. She said, she said the people. I mean, she's not wrong. So great. Great. Let's read Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. It said, And seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So he's talking, his disciples are around him. There's also a crowd of people that he's preaching to. It's not like he's climbing Mount Everest and it's like, no, I'm like, only my disciples, right? It's not um, this like huge, like scaled mountain. It's, it's, he's talking to a crowd of people. He's climbing up, elevated position, talking to a crowd of people. And they're sitting right there. And some of the stuff that he's teaching is pretty revolutionary. Um, he's taking the, the law of Moses, this, this law that's the standard, and he's taking it to another level. And so the people are like, whoa, whoa, so you're telling me it's not just about what I do, but it's about my heart behind what I do. He's like, so you're, I've never killed anyone, but you're telling me if I am angry and lash out at someone that I'm guilty and their minds are blown. And there's some incredible sayings that, that he says, incredible teachings. But then he, he, he feels the need to hit on prayer. Like, why do we pray? And I want you to realize that he's not just talking to a, a crowd of, of people from Oklahoma or Mexico or whatever. He's talking to a group of Israelites, God's chosen people. These people have an insane history of God doing incredible things through them. Like he brought them out of Egypt. He led them through the wilderness by like this, this cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night that, that Moses spent time face to face, not face to face. He saw the backside of God, but he spent time communing with God. God gave them his word and his instructions on how to live and how to worship. Like these people have a rich history of God being very active in their presence. Like it's not foreign to them. In the United States, we like to say we're a Christian nation. No, we're not. We do not have a state religion. We have the freedom of religion. Israel was a theocracy, right? God was supposed to be their leader. Like they were, they were like looking to God. But somewhere along the lines, they had forgotten how to pray. And we read in Genesis, I'm just going to go quick here. They're not on the board. Genesis 20, 17. Then Abraham prayed to God. Genesis 25, 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord. Uh, Exodus 8, 30. Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. 2 Samuel 7, 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, he prayed to him, who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? 1 Kings 8, 54. Now Solomon finished offering all of this, all this prayer and plea to the Lord. You've got Elisha praying, Hezekiah praying, Ezra praying, Nehemiah praying, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel. We see like these Old Testament Hall of Famers being people of prayer. You think they wouldn't have like, 
you'd think there wouldn't be a need for Jesus to go into this explanation on why to pray. But we see in even Luke 11, where the disciples again say, hey, Jesus, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. Something had, had gone awry. Something had, had, they'd missed the mark somewhere where they had lost what it meant to pray. See, prayer had become very ritualistic. Um, they had these, these canned prayers that they would pray at certain hours of the day. Um, prayers that lined up with Old Testament scripture, but they would just repeat them and recite them um, kind of from memory. It's, it's almost like us saying the Pledge of Allegiance or our, our home address. So you can kind of say it without even thinking about it. But when we say the Pledge of Allegiance, we're pledging allegiance to something. Shouldn't that be said with some thought, right? If, you, if you're married, hopefully you said your wedding vows with some conviction and you weren't like the, the pastor wasn't just like, repeat after me. And you're like, yeah, whatever, right? That there was some thought behind it. Till death do us, okay, sure, whatever, that's fine, whatever, you know, okay, if, if that's what you want me to say. And they would go, you know, in like at 9 a.m. and 12 and 3, and they'd be like, oh, it's time to pray. All right, like, okay, let's just get it over with. They'd repeat these prayers, and they'd go about their business. And so Jesus is instructing the crowd, he's instructing his disciples, let's go back to the essence of what prayer is supposed to be. And I think, unfortunately, for a lot of Christians, that we have lost, uh, we're, we're in a similar boat, that we've kind of lost, you know, what it means to be followers of Christ, that we, we're, you know, maybe at one point we were on track and we were, we were solid, but something went off and, and there's an appearance of Christianity, but no substance to it. And in Israel, there was the appearance of prayer, but there was a lack of substance to it. And you see this where people will use Christianity and try to get what they want, try to make themselves make themselves feel better. They'll try to use it to bully people and, and beat them into a, a certain position. And I think that we need to do kind of what Jesus is instructing the Israelites to do is to get away from what you're seeing and get back to the fundamentals, like get back to what the word of God is actually teaching. And so before we get into the actual how to pray, pray in this manner, let's first throw out all the garbage that's being seen in the crowds in, in that time. So how does Jesus start out? How does he start out? Not with the actual prayer, but how does he start out? So we read Matthew chapter six, verse five. How does he start out? Do what? Yeah, he says, don't do this. He says, don't do this. Um, I mentioned it last week that there, I will never discourage anyone from praying, but there, are, there is a difference between ineffective prayers and effective praying. I will never discourage anyone from praying, but there is a correct way to pray and an incorrect way to pray. And Jesus is bringing correction and saying, hey, don't do that. They're praying, but it's not right. Um, he, 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 tells, he says, do not be like the what? Hypocrites. The hypocrites. Now, the hypocrites, um, it's a Greek word, and I think we've got it on the slide. It's a Greek word, and it simply means actor. It's an actor who wears a mask to play a different part. That's not a bad, if I see a clown in the circus, I'm like, that's a clown. You're like, that is a clown. Like, you're like, that's a hypocrite. Yes, that is a person playing a role in a movie. But if I see you and I'm like, hey, you're a clown. <laughs> Wait, what? Take it out of context, it, it means something totally different. And so Jesus is saying, hey, don't be like the hypocrites. Who's he talking about? He's not talking about actors. Who's he talking about? The pretenders, the Pharisees. He's looking at him and he says, these men who like to put on a good show, 
who like, who like people to see what they are doing. They may look like they're doing the right thing, but they're just playing a part. He says, don't be like them. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus wasn't a big fan of the Pharisees. Uh, if you want to kind of read a better description of them, read Matthew 23. Hey, we're here. Why not? Let's read a couple of verses out of Matthew 23. Um, he gives eight woes, eight like warnings, eight cautions to the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, um, 15, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, convert, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Matthew 23, 27 and 28, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead, dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And what you see here, one of the reasons why he's having to give instructions on how to pray is because you have these religious leaders going astray. And the religious leaders are leading the way in how to pray, how to live. And we know that the rest of the nation eventually follows suit. And I've mentioned it before, but the greatest threat to the Israelites in the Old Testament was not the invading armies. It was the false prophets, and it was the intermingling of these religions that God forbade. And alternatively, like one of the greatest threats to the church today is not government overreach. Oh, what are they going to do? It's not persecution. It's false teaching and incorrect doctrine within the church. And that, and, and it's, if we want to look at it in the social media sphere, it's, it's who are the Christian influencers? Because who we are listening to eventually makes its way into the church. And if it is not founded on biblical principles, then it's going to lead us astray. And so Jesus is saying, hey, hey those people that you think are the religious leaders, they are playing a part. They are not who you think they are. They are wearing a mask. Don't be like them. Don't be like them. Because Jesus is saying, in, in this entry to the Lord's Prayer, there's a couple of different things that he's trying to root out. He's trying to root out um, indifference, and he's trying to root out pride before we get to what sincere prayer looks like. And so you see these frauds, you see these Pharisees, they're doing these religious acts for everyone to see. And Jesus talks about this more in Matthew 6. He talks about they give and they blow a trumpet and they make a big deal, deal about it. And like, hey, look how much I'm giving to the poor. They say when they pray at the times of prayer, oh, they just happen to find themselves. What? How convenient. They just happen to find themselves at the busiest street corner. Oh, it's time to pray. Well, watch this. I'm going to impress you with how awesome of a prayer I am. And when it's time to fast, they, 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 look, they don't comb their hair. They look disheveled. What's wrong with you? Oh, I'm just suffering for the Lord, just fasting away. Oh, you're so holy. Oh, God bless you. This is what they were wanting. And this is what Jesus said. They've received their reward in full. And he says, hey, what you are seeing as the example, don't be like them. Don't do that. Jesus um, gives a, an example in Luke 18, um, verses 9 through uh, 14. And he says this. Oh, 
I'm just kidding. He also told this parable to some who trusted. It's because I'm in Luke 11. That's why I can't find it. I was like, that's not the right one. The wrong chapter. I have too many bookmarks here. There it is. 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. All right, so what's the purpose of this? He's given a warning to people who think they're righteous and treat others poorly. He says this, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this, that man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the, uh, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What does Proverbs 16 say about pride? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Jesus is calling out the pride of these Pharisees. What are they taking pride in? How holy I am. How righteous I am. How good I am. In what? In, in how I give and how I pray and how I fast. That's what he's taking. What's it they're leading? They're, they're taking pride in. And Jesus is saying, okay, okay. The one who exalts himself will be humbled either here on earth or on judgment day. Like, you're going to be humbled. And so be careful of how you, who are you are following because they aren't the example that you want to follow. Um, now, Jesus is not forbidding public prayer, right? That's not what he's saying at all. But he's saying, hey, when you pray publicly, don't do it for your honor and your glory. Do it for God's honor and God's glory. So how are we to pray? In the same way we're to give, same way we're to, to fast. Now, there's time for public prayer. There's time for corporate prayer, right? There's that's, yes. But these Pharisees, in this context, they were spending their, their, their time with God, if you will, for everyone else to see. It's really hard for me to try to impress others when I'm in my room by myself. It's really hard for me to try to impress others when no one else can see what I'm doing, right? That's where your true motives are. And even then, and even then, we can still fool ourselves with our motives. We can trick ourselves into believe we're doing something for the, for the right reason, right? It's like, oh, I'm buying this lottery ticket because, you know, this, I'm just going to bless everyone, right? Or we do whatever. But we do it all the time. Like we fool ourselves into thinking that we have these sincere motives. But what does Jesus say? No, no, no. The God who sees in secret. And he's not even necessarily talking about what you do in secret, but more so about the secret places in your heart that even maybe you don't know about. Jeremiah 17.10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God's saying, hey, if we're going to spend time properly praying, we have to check our heart. We have to check our heart. And then he attacks this other side. So if we've got to check our hearts, it doesn't mean we check out our mind. He's saying, hey, no, 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 no. You check your heart, but you make sure your mind's checked in as well. Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8, he takes on this other aspect 
uh, of incorrect prayer. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, there's a couple different things in this section that we need to understand, like Gentiles, pagan religions, a lot of times they thought their prayers were heard simply by repetition, 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 right? If I pray long enough, if I pray loud enough, then then my God will hear what I'm saying. And we see a couple examples of this um, in in the Bible. Um, Probably one of the most well-known one is um, Elijah's interaction with the prophets of Baal found in 1 Kings 18. We'll start reading in verse 25. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull, and prepare it first, for you are many. Call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is uh, relieving himself. Or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. And there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Repetition, repetition, making a show, repetition, repetition. We see a, um, a, a similar similar, not as uh, crazy episode found in Acts 19. And what you've got here is you've got Paul coming to Ephesus. He's converting people. Um, He's he's winning people to Christ. Um, And and he's hurting business is what he's doing. Because what he's doing is he's taking money out of the pockets of the people that sell these idols, right? Oh, like, so so we see in Acts 19.34, right here, It says, but when they recognized that he was a Jew for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Now, what happened was Paul was causing such an uproar that the people of Ephesus, which is where the temple of Artemis, she's a Greek goddess of like hunting and wild game and vegetation and then like chastity and childbirth. Like that's a weird combination. It's like the ATF, alcohol, tobacco, and then firearms. Like, okay, whatever, however you want to mix that up. Okay. Weird, but whatever, you do you. Um, and so, like, her temple was there in Ephesus. Um, it's, they're very loyal to her, and Paul is causing an uproar because he is going against what these people know. And so they, they kind of throw this impromptu, chaotic court together. They bring this guy in to kind of try to make some defense, and they're like, he's a Jew, he's one of them, and they just start chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours. Chant, 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 chant. And Jesus is saying, hey, like, don't be like them. You see this one group of people that's praying and trying to show everyone how holy they are, and you see this one group of people that, that's just chanting and trying to re- and think that, hey, I'm going to repeat these words that sound spiritual, and then that'll get God's attention. And Jesus is like, that's not right either. But we have to understand that it's a repetition of words can happen in genuine prayer, that there's nothing like innately wrong with that. We look at several <coughs> passages in Scripture where we see repetition happening. And, and so we've got to, okay, Jesus said, don't just go on and on and on. But then we see several instances in the Bible where this happens. So, for example, we see in Psalm 136. 
The phrase for his steadfast love endures forever is repeated 26 times in that one chapter. Anyone want to guess how many verses are in Psalm 136? 26. Each verse that's repeated again and again and again. Isaiah 6, 3, very similar to Revelation 4. We see the seraphim shouting back to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're doing that for all eternity. Oh, uh, they're not doing what Jesus said. They're repeating their, their chants and their prayers. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, we see in Mark 14, as Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane, he tells the disciples, hey, stay here, pray, so you don't fall into temptation. I'm going to go over here and pray. What's he pray? He says, Father, if, it's, if you're able, if, if, if you're willing, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. He goes back and checks on his disciples. What are they doing? They're sleeping. He wakes them up. Hey, pray so you don't fall into temptation. He goes back. He repeats the same prayer. Uh, Jesus, you're contradicting yourself. You just said, don't repeat that prayer. And here you are. You're praying the same prayer. We see in um, 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul goes before God three times that he would take away the thorn in the flesh. We see a parable in, what is it, Luke 18 of the persistent widow, where the judge just gives in to the widow because she just like won't leave him alone. And so what's, what's hap- how, how can Jesus tell us not repeat phrases, but then we see multiple times in the New Testament and the Old Testament where phrases are being repeated? Jesus isn't talking about what the pagans are doing. He's talking about, hey, you can repeat, but is it an honest, is it, is it a properly motivated repetition, expressing this need, expressing this praise to God? If you've been on your face just praying, God, I need you. Anyone else? Are you praying wrong? No. No. Sometimes that's all, that's all you know how to pray. That's not an improper prayer. That's not what Jesus is talking about at all. What he's talking about is this thoughtless, almost robotic, hey, I'm saying these words in this order, give me what I want, prayers. He's saying you have these, these prayers that are, that are based in Scripture, and you have some people that are praying them super elaborate because they want attention, and you have some people that are just like, oh, the Lord our God, our God is one. Yeah, okay, I'll do it. And they're just going on and on. We have to understand that this, the thoughtless prayer is almost as offensive as a heartless prayer. And if it's offensive to God, then it should be offensive to us. And I, don't, I can't, <clears throat> my voice is, is super dry, so excuse me. I, 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 I can't tell you how many times that, that I will go before God in prayer. And it's just almost like, I've prayed this prayer a thousand times and there's no thought before it. So, for example, thank you, sir. Um, For example, praying before meals. How many of you guys pray before meals? Anyone? How many of you guys could repeat that prayer right now? Yeah. I pray with my wife every night before we go to bed. There's times where I'm tired, it's been a long day, and I'm just like, all right, I know basically what I need to say here, right, to get this prayer over with. <laughs> like, let me hit these boxes. Let me pray for my son. Let me pray for our friends. Let me pray for, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, cool, we did it. Those are thoughtless prayers. Right? Here's the awesome thing is we get to go for God in prayer. We get to. That'd be like if you 
regardless, we're not even going to say, just say it's a president. Say it's your favorite president that's ever existed. That would be like you going before the president of the United States and just being like, what's up, dude? Cool, man. All right. We done here? If you had a chance to go before your, your favorite celebrity, your favorite politician or whoever, like you would want to go in like, like you would want to have your mind engaged. You would want them to see that you would put time into this and that your heart was in it, that you, weren't, that you were passionate about it. But so often we go before God, we're just like, all right, kind of repeat the same prayer. No real thought into it. I say a lot of us fall more into this category than we do the first category. And Jesus says, hey, don't do it. Either one of them. Don't do either one of them. That we get to go before God. We get to go before the creator of the universe in prayer. Man, and our hearts have to be checked for proper motives. And our minds need to be checked in as well. And so Jesus straightens out. He says, hey, we, we're, okay, we're clearing up the garbage here, right? We're getting this taken care of. We're getting, okay, this is what you don't do. This is what you've seen model. This is what you don't do. So how do you pray properly? The Jewish people knew kind of what God expected in prayer. There should be, you know, thanksgiving. There should be honor. There should be praise. There should be repentance. There should be these different, like, check marks. Not, not saying, like, I'm um, checking off this list, but this is, like, the proper way to pray. <clears throat> and so um, they knew it, but they forgot it. And so Jesus is like, all right, let's bring it back together. Jesus teaches them the proper structure in which to pray. So let's get into that for just a second. Um, we're only going to hit one little bit of the Lord's prayer, but Matthew chapter six, verse nine, Jesus says this. He says, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Luke two, he says this, uh, when you pray, say, father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Like I said, these prayers are two different instances, very, very similar. And so we're kind of paralleling them. I'm looking a little bit more at Matthew chapter six because we're talking about being people of prayer. And Jesus gives here some more context on what not to do in prayer. Um, but as we look more into the Lord's prayer, we'll probably, we'll, we'll kind of parallel both parts of these. Um, now this prayer is, is great to memorize and repeat. Um, but the reading of the Greek phrasing is more along the lines of like pray in this manner. Um, and so Jesus isn't just saying, hey, this is the only prayer you ever pray ever. No, he's given us an outline. He's given us a skeleton. He's like, hey, now you put kind of the meat on the bones with your words. Like, these are the things you need to hit. Now you put, now you put, yeah, you fill it in. And the reason I say that is because one, uh, Jesus just holds not the mindless to repeat prayers. So there's that, right? Like I said, the Lord's prayer, I'm good. Cool. I pray through it every day, but I pray through it and, and I, I intentionally stop and think about each section, right? And so I spend time on each section, but I'm making sure that I hit these marks that Jesus said, hey, this is how you pray. Okay, 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 done. And so it's a guide to help us pray. So Jesus was giving them this basic structure. And I think a lot of times we miss out on the way that, that he starts out this prayer. Um, and this will kind of be the only part that we get to tonight. We'll get to the rest uh, next week and, and the week after. But he starts out by saying, our father. In Matthew 6, he says, our father in heaven. Now, there was a German theologian in the mid, uh, early to mid-1900s who did some interesting research on this. And he noted that uh, you know, Jew- Jewish people would, would refer to God as their father. He's the father of Israel. We see it in Exodus 4, Jeremiah 31, Isaiah 63, Psalm 89, some other places as well. So the idea of God being their father was not 
like uncommon. Um, but the God being their father in like this intimate relationship was uncommon. Um, the, the theologian that, that did this, did this research, um, and he did way more than I did. Maybe he missed something. I don't know. But in all of his research, he could not find a rabbi who addressed God as father until the 10th century AD, except for one in the first century that we have recorded in scripture, Jesus. Now he was the father of their nation. Like you can find scripture where it's like, yes, this is God, our father, but in prayer. And if you're like, oh, I don't agree with that. Then why did the Pharisees get so mad at Jesus that he referred to God as his father? John 5, 16 and 18. <clears throat> and this, is, this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Something was different. He wasn't just saying God is our father. Like there was an intimacy there that wasn't familiar at the time. And I think we miss the significance of that. This is a, this is a different relationship. George Washington is the father of our nation. Ooh, cool, I don't know him. He's not my dad. All right. And so we can't miss this closeness that we, got, that we have with God, our father. But unlike our earthly fathers, because when I say, when, when we say God is our father, instinctively, who do we think of? We, 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 we try as much as like, we kind of parallel our experience with our father here on earth. I mean, that's the closest thing we have. Some of us have great relationships with our dad. That's awesome. Some of us, not so much. Some of us never knew our dad. Some of our dad ha- has passed away. Like we, we all have varying um, relationships, but God is like, okay, our father where? In heaven. Let's make a distinction here that he is a heavenly father. Last week, we talked about God being sovereign. And so it's like our heavenly father who is in control of everything, who's ever present, never changing. That's, this is who our father is. And so as we come into this understanding of who our father is, that helps us bring some understanding as to what that means in our relationship with him. First thing is this, it gives us peace and it calms our fears, right? If there's a problem that requires protection, we you go to your dad. If there's a bump in the night, I'm not like, hey, Aubrey, go check that out. <laughs> Who gets to go? I get to go. When I was in high school, we were at a football game on Friday night and sitting in the student section. And there was a little girl who was way too young to be sitting there, but the cheerleaders were throwing up these footballs like they do at halftime or wherever, you know, randomly in the game. And this one like junior or senior in high school reached over and like caught the football like right in front of the little girl. And the little girl was upset. You want to guess what she did? When got her dad. <laughs> right? And so there's, there's some awesome things that we need to understand with God being our father is that we can <clears throat> not worry and not have fear because he is our protector. Matthew 7 verse 11 says this, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Another thing we need to understand about this as we're wrapping up, 
is this, is that when God is our father, we don't have to worry about loneliness. Michael, I don't have any friends. I don't need family. And you may be rejected by everyone here on earth, but we have a God who hasn't forsaken us, who hasn't left us, who, who hasn't forgotten about us. We see John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Psalm 68, verses five and six, father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home and he leads the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. When God's our father, we don't have to worry about who provides for us. All the resources in heaven are available to us when we trust God as our father. Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then last, but definitely, I mean, not least, and not the last thing at all is God as our father. Um, when God is our father, it kind of settles the matter of who's in charge and who we obey. Right? Jesus came to this earth, and while he was here on this earth, who did he submit his will to? God the Father. If that's what he did, how much more so are we to submit our will to the Father? Matthew 15, or 12, uh, 50 says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Right? Obedience is one of the biggest markers of a genuine believer. God's our Father. A lot of times we just miss it. We just skip over it. Father, we're coming for you tonight. Oh, have we, have we stopped and really thought about what that means? So Jesus is saying, hey, in prayer, here's what we do. Teach us to pray. Okay, cool. Hold up. In prayer, here's what we do. We submit our hearts. We check our pride, check our motives. We engage our mind. We don't check out. We're not just mindlessly repeating things. And we go before our heavenly father, knowing that he's eager, that he's willing to, to lend us his help in his hand and bless his, his kids if it, if it serves them best and it, and it, and it promotes his, his glory and, and his will and his purpose, right? That we scrub the prideful, mechanical, robotic prayers and we come to him boldly because he's our heavenly father. So this is how Jesus is like teaching us to pray. This is what it means for us to be people of prayer. So with that, we're closing. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, come before you this evening just in complete humility that, that we are able to go before you, that we are able to call you, Father. You have adopted us into your family. And I pray that as we pray, God, that we do so with our hearts submitted. God, with our motives checked, with our minds engaged. God, coming before you boldly and purposefully. God, understanding our need for you and our desire for you. And we thank you that we're able to come before you in prayer. God, be with us. God, change the way we pray. God, change the way we approach you. God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.